Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Welcome to day 11 of 30 Days of Terror. How you do? I've got three stories for you today. Wow. At least I think it's three. I can't, oh, I can't remember. I think it's three. We'll go with three. Somewhere three stories. between two and three. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to get straight into it. Let's do this. Our first story today comes from Cipriana. For a bit of backstory, I have three sisters and one brother and I'm the youngest. My sister closest in age is three and a half years older than me and my only full sibling. Both my parents were married before they married each other and they each had children with their previous partners. My half-siblings were in their mid to late teens by the time I was born. This is important later, I promise. My parents met in college as older students. My father was working towards his PhD and my mother was in college for the first time in her late 30s. After my sister was born, they moved into student housing apartments that were for low-income students. It was a wonderful place to live with families from all over the world. My mother speaks really fondly of living there. The sense of community thrived and everyone looked after one another. Everyone was poor and just trying to make it. They fed each other, clothed each other and kept watch over each other's children. I was born while they lived there and we left when I was about three so I have no memory of living there. Although my parents loved the community, they were also very aware that in these apartments there was something very wrong. My mother describes a feeling of unrest and dread that she would sometimes feel in the apartment. When my sister was born, they set up her nursery in the small spare room. My mother never liked that room. It would drop in temperature randomly and my mother would often not let my sister sleep there when it got too cold. Later, when my sister was a little older and I had been born, she would have long conversations with someone in that room that my mother could hear through the baby monitor. One day, my mother asked her who she was talking to. My sister replied that she was talking to the old man that comes to visit her. My sister would often wake up in the middle of the night from nightmares about what she described as pigs and monkeys with red eyes looking at her through her second story window. But before this, when my sister was maybe two or so, my family experienced what they just referred to as the night. It was a night that the nursery was unusually cold. My mother decided, as she did on so many other nights, to let my sister sleep in her and my father's room. She recalls feeling like something was off, almost threatening. 
As she drifted to sleep with my sister beside her, she had a dream. In the dream, there was something in the heating vents. It started with a scraping sound throughout the apartment. As it came closer to the bedroom through the vents, it started to growl. The sound got louder and louder until whatever it was was in the room with them. In the dream, my mother somehow knew that the thing wanted my sister. She hugged my sister close and yelled at the thing to go away. And then she woke up. She was hugging my sister tightly to her. Moments later, my father woke up gasping. He told my mother that the only way he could describe the dream he was having was that he was fighting the devil for the souls of my mother and my sister. He said that before he woke up, he was losing the fight, but he knew if he stopped, the devil would take them. The air was thick in the room, and neither of my parents could shake it. My mother was raised very religious, but she had stopped practicing long ago. Even so, she prayed that the blood of Christ cover and protect them. The sense of dread eased just a little, and everyone managed to fall back asleep. Early the next morning, they got a call from my brother who was a teenager at the time and was on vacation with his father. He asked my mother if they were all okay. My mother said yes, but asked why. My brother described his experience, states away, the night before. At the time, he and his father were staying with a relative. In the room where my brother slept, there was an old rocking chair in the corner. He described a dream in which he woke up and saw the rocking chair beside his bed. In the chair sat our grandfather, who had died many years before. He simply told my brother not to worry, that everything would be okay. My brother claims that when he woke in the morning, the rocking chair was no longer in the corner of the room, but was beside his bed. It is important to note that my brother is the biggest sceptic in the family, and later tried to explain away this event in any way he could. But on the phone with my mother that morning, he said that when he saw the rocking chair, he felt the strong urge to check on everyone because he felt that something terrible had happened. My mother assured him that everyone was well. That day there was a community barbecue and potluck planned for the families who lived in the apartment complex. As everyone made their way down to the small courtyard with food and drinks, my mother noticed that there was more than one tired face among the group. As everyone ate, they began talking about the strange night they had had the night before. Stories started to bubble up. A woman on the same floor, Lucia, had her mother in town staying with her. As they prepared for bed, Lucia went out into the kitchen to get her mother a glass of water. As she turned the corner, she saw a woman standing in her kitchen. She was completely beaten, with a bloody face and bruises on her arms. She was crying, and she asked Lucia for help. Lucia turned and ran to get her mother, but when they both came back to the kitchen, the woman was gone. Another woman, whose name I don't know, reported that in the middle of the night she was woken up by a presence. Her husband was out of town for work and she woke up to a sound of what she thought was him coming home early. Door opening, footsteps down the hall towards the bedroom. 
When he did not come into the room, she called out to him. No one answered. She got up to investigate. No one was in the apartment. The door was still locked. As she tried to fall back asleep, she distinctly felt someone kiss her on the cheek. Another set of neighbours, Mark and Debbie, who lived a floor below us, had what I think is the most frightening experience. They were both Mormon and very involved in the church, so much so that I think Mark held a title, but I don't know enough about the religion to say what kind. Anyway, in the late evening, they had their front door open to allow for fresh air. The screen door was locked and closed. A sudden breeze blew through the door as Mark and Debbie sat on the couch, their children already in bed. They both looked to the door and saw three figures standing in the doorway. Because of the dim outdoor light, these figures appeared only as silhouettes. Mark got up and went to the door and asked what the figures wanted. They did not respond. After several attempts to ask who they were and why they were there, Mark eventually told them to go away. He told my mother that he had a sudden feeling that these figures wanted the children, but he couldn't explain why. When they refused to speak to him or leave, he began reciting a prayer and commanded them to leave. They turned and left without a word. As these stories circulated, people had a hard time believing them all. It was only later that we heard the final tale. My eldest half-sister also had a dream that night. I don't remember where she was, but she was not staying with my parents. She dreamed that she was pulled out of her body and was floating inches from the ceiling. She described it as a pleasant dream at first. All of her limbs felt weightless and she felt like she could fly if she wanted to. But then something was in the house with her. It pulled her into the heating vents violently and she was helpless as she was catapulted through the house, popping out into various rooms. She would only get a glimpse of the room before she would be sucked back into the vents and hurtled to a new room. The whole time she felt the presence with her. She said she felt like the thing was just playing with her because it could, battering her around like a ragdoll. Whatever the night was, it was clear the next day that it had been spent. The strange occurrences continued until my parents moved us into our first house, but it was never as menacing as it was on that night. Logic tells me that people tend to embellish stories, especially if everyone is sitting around talking about creepy things. But all the experiences were so different and so specific. Because I didn't personally hear the accounts, I know they have probably been magnified and dramatised by retellings. I honestly don't think I believe it all. But either way, it makes for a good story. Oh, what a night. Late December, back in 63. I mean, that is... What a terrible night it was. For those people, what a night. That was terrible. You sound really good at making up songs, but yeah. that was not a good one. I'm so- I apologise to everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Yeah, it's... I mean, I want to just start with the stuff about the oldest... The older sister... The older full sister when being a little child talking to the old man nope 
having nightmares about pigs and monkeys with red eyes watching oh her. yeah no that's nope. terrible that that was a little bit traumatizing i have to say that is not good that is not a good dream to be having and i can picture it i can picture it and it's freaky and then everybody having crazy dreams on the same night is that's really weird really odd and crazy dreams that are so crazy that you share them at a barbecue the next day like that must have been playing on people's minds and the fact that they're people from all over the world clearly they'll have come from different cultures different faiths different backgrounds yeah i think it's really it's a really mad story but mark and debbie's wasn't a dream was it which is it having three dark figures and then just feeling that they've come for your children it's almost as if the, if the veil was at the thinnest and at that particular, yeah. yeah, at that literal apartment block. Yeah, it's very strange. But then the connected people as well, because the two step siblings had dreams. Yeah, that built into it as well. The half brother's dream actually wasn't that scary on its own. No, it was quite a nice dream. Yeah. Like granddad coming to it, say, it, "Hey, everything's going to be okay." But the chair being moved in the morning <laughs> is a bit creepy. And then having that sense that you need to check on people is really unnerving. I think. But yeah, that's so, it's such a strange story and quite dark and mysterious. And I'm kind of glad for Cipriana that she was too young to remember it. (laughs) I don't think we've had a story like that where that volume of people all experienced something on the same night. Well, I don't know why, but it reminded me of that scene in Constantine when they're (gasps) out in the street. I don't know why. I love that film. I know. I know it's, it's not cool to love that film, but I love that film. Yeah, but that's what it reminded me of, that scene for some reason. That's what I've got in my head. Where all the light switches yeah. go, or all the street lights go yeah. out and all the demons arrive. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great scene. feels like that. Great scene. feels like the veil was very thin that night. Because almost like the um, half-sister had the dream about being dragged through the vents, and then the mother heard something in the vents. I know, I know, awful. And then it reminded me of Kimberly's story, because in the way she's in the vents... Like she's literally, Kimberly is literally in the yeah. vents and whatever lives in the walls. Yeah. No, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And our second story today... I'm not sure I'm ready for this because the last one made me bleat like a goat for some reason at the end there. I don't quite know. Maybe you are Philip. (laughs) Maybe that's who you are. (laughs) Our second story today comes from A. For part of my growing up years, we lived above the family business. My dad was a mortician, someone who prepares those who have passed away for burial and counsels their families, helping them to arrange funeral services. The arrangement was less creepy than it sounds. The building was constructed in the 1920s, built of a local stone with large windows that made the inside light and airy. I mention this because I want to be clear that the building itself was really not creepy. It was somewhat cold, especially in the basement, 
but I attribute this to the stone construction more than anything else. As part of my assigned chores, I dusted and vacuumed the room where memorial services were held. I cleaned the bathrooms, etc. I never once experienced anything strange. No voices, no strange noises, nothing. Our family piano was kept in a room on the same level. And if there is anything that should tempt a poltergeist, it's an old piano. But no ghostly fingers ever played it. One day, just before school, I had to run back into my bedroom to get a bag of stuff sitting on my bed. There was a double door arrangement to my room, the door that connected to the hallway, then a small alcove with our linen closet on the left, then the actual door to my bedroom. That morning, I passed briskly through the doorway to get my things. I was moving at a good clip, which makes what happened next very strange. I passed through the whole doorway with no issue. But when I reached the door to my room, I came up against what I can only describe as some sort of soft netting. It was as though mosquito netting was stretched across the doorway to my room. I bumped into it with my nose, and I could actually feel the tiny webbing pattern in it. I stopped abruptly, and was about to put my hand out and touch whatever was there, when the light fixture, which would have been exactly above my head as I passed, fell to the floor and shattered, sending pieces into every corner of the room. I stood there, stunned. My mom called, What was that? And in that uniquely mom voice that says, I hope you're not hurt, but my God, if you've broken something important, you are grounded. She ran over to me and gasped. As she went to phone the installers and give them a good chewing out, I slowly got the broom and tried to process what happened. I still can't explain it. I told my mom what happened and she said, Well, it sounds like someone or something was looking out for you. The light fixture was one of those heavy glass things that looks like an oversized dinner plate, secured with a pointy metal knob that screws on a metal thread. We had it installed several years before, and I have no idea how it could work itself free. Even if I had avoided being hit by the metal knob, I would have most likely been hit by flying glass. I'm still surprised I wasn't hit by anything, since glass went everywhere. Whatever that presence was, it had a really good timing, and I'm grateful. I'd be curious to know if any of your other listeners have experienced this kind of benevolent presence. I would say, without having any specific reference point, that people probably have. Because it seems to be that we get hauntings or we get interventions, and this sounds like an intervention to me. Oh, I've never thought about it like that before. Hauntings versus interventions. Mm. And this sounds like an intervention. Because it was enough to make them stop and think what was going on. And as a result, they weren't under that light fitting as it fell off and hit them. So that sounds like an intervention to me. And the thing is, right, when I first read this, I thought, as I was reading it, I was thinking, surely she's run into some, like, spider web. Yeah. But then she said that she could feel the, like, mesh, like, yeah, the little mesh. That's so weird. Yeah, because it, I, I think um, I think they describe it as a webbing, don't they? Yeah. But 
which makes you think spiders again, but I know what they mean. It means that mesh kind of feel to it. I think it's a cool story. And yeah, I'm really so grateful so grateful that this wasn't about how creepy the mortuary was, because <laughs> that's where I thought it was going. But actually they were just like the the building is fine. I've I never think, experienced anything there. I would like to say for the record that I think morticians do an incredible job absolutely and a really thankless job and people always think that it's a really weird creepy job but you know what somebody has to do it and those people are the people that console families Mm. who have lost loved ones every goddamn day and I'm so here for it my sister did a a little short period of doing makeup for dead people I think and she said that she found it really quite cathartic as in that she like quite peaceful yeah well I bet yeah but yeah just thought I'd throw that in I may have just made that up, but I'm pretty sure we'll, she did. We'll find out. We'll find out the facts later and both your sisters will be like, what? <laughs> no. And our last story today comes from Paul. I always hated the house on Pond Street in Orono, Maine, ever since the first moment I saw it from the outside. It gave off a creepy energy that left a knot in my heart. Inside, it was full of six-foot mirrors. Every single room had something off about it that I just could never pinpoint accurately. The only room that gave me a relief from this feeling was the bathroom in the downstairs efficiency apartment, and I'd use it often. Every time I walked into the house through the back middle door, I'd feel someone watching me through the wall-hanging quilt. There was also a sense of annoyance and frustration emanating from that covered mirror, as if the lurker's view was blocked. A few times at night, in my bedroom, I saw figures in the mirrors on the closet. There was a man wearing a top hat standing in the middle of the room. A tall guy rocked in a glider in the corner of the room, right next to the closet mirrors. I didn't have a gliding rocker in my bedroom. The highlight of living at this house was having the pool, at least in the summer. But something lurked in and by the pool that wasn't happy. The pool was dreadful during the winter months. We moved this house in the fall and couldn't play in the pool immediately. Since the first moment I noticed the pool, I could tell there was a strange, eerie energy hanging around it. The pool and the surrounding pool deck looked inviting and comfortable more than anything but it never really was comfortable from the very beginning i felt there was a little boy with weird evil intentions he didn't want to hurt anybody but at the same time he wanted to hurt someone whenever he pleased i dismissed the energy as electrical impulses from the pulp and the filter but i later realized that i was wrong very wrong. During the first summer while I was the only one in the pool, I swam to the bottom of the deep end, about 12 feet. I was on the other side of the pool where the floor filter was. I felt a slight tug on my leg. It felt like someone skimmed against it. It freaked me out, but I thought nothing of it. I thought it must have been some kind of debris. But my opinion changed during the winter. When the pool was closed up and covered with snow, I was drawn to it. There were several instances where I'd go outside to make a snowman or a fort 
or sled down the hill on the side yard. I did these things, yes, but I'd also have to frequently check the pool. I would have to stand on the pool deck at the edge overlooking where the deep end drops off, just looking. But sometimes, I'd see the top of a little boy's head, up and down beneath the ice. Sometimes I'd be by the pool and I'd have no recollection of opening the gate or walking into the area. One time, on a cold day in January, I found myself by the pool. Just as I realised I didn't remember getting there, I had this sudden urge to check the strength of the ice by standing on it. The conflicting voice of logic told me not to, and I didn't. At least... I thought I hadn't. Next thing I knew, seconds later, in a trance, I find myself stepping down onto the ice. All the while, I'm thinking, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to be 11 years old and I'm going to get trapped under the ice of my pool. I tried to resist, but I couldn't. And my heart was pounding. As I'm standing on the ice, I manage to turn around. I try to step up back onto the deck, but I'm paralysed. I'm terrified. I don't want to die, I thought. I heard an extremely faint, almost inaudible crack beneath the snow-covered ice as I plummeted into the icy water below. Instantly, after that, the trance lifted, and I pulled myself out. I plummeted waist-deep. I wasn't cold, but I felt shaken. I actually questioned if I had really fallen in. But my wet ski pants were a definite confirmation. I couldn't get the boy out of my head. As I went about my evening, the boy was on my mind. It was confusing. A chilling thought popped into my head. Is Pond Street named after a long-gone pond? Did a boy drown in our pool? Or is there a mirror world where a boy drowned in the pool? No. <laughs> the end. No, there isn't a mirror world. I Don't hope think not that. A world. That's um, not a thing. I would also hate the house if I walked in and it was covered with six foot mirrors. No. Let's see, it's my idea of a dream Ooh. having all those mirrors, being able to take selfies all of the time. I know I've said that before on 30 Days of Terror, but I'll say it again. Just love taking selfies in a full-length mirror. People are definitely watching you from the mirrors in your life. Is that what you think? Yeah. I mean, that story definitely suggested that there are people watching from the mirrors. And behind hanging blankets. Yeah, annoyed that they can't see out of that Mm. mirror. Mm -mm. So weird. Mm -mm. And the little boy in the swimming pool can do one as well. Yeah, he can. I am actually terrified of falling under the ice because... In a similar way to I'm terrified by rats because of Lady and the Tramp. I'm terrified of falling under the ice because of a Transformers comic I read when I was a kid. And a boy f- fell under the ice. And Optimus Prime saved him. And it was a scary comic. But I don't have an Optus- Optimus Prime to save me. So if I fall under the ice, I'm going to die. You said that in such a monotonous way that it was so <laughs> heartbreaking. It's okay. That comic wasn't real. It was a comic. I think it's the only Transformers comic I ever read as a kid as well, and it stayed with me. 
So I think that was probably the message, don't play on the ice, was probably the, like, you know, they like comics tend to have a moral message, don't they? Yeah. I think that was the message and it, it worked. And I've never felt like stepping on the ice. I don't well, even like you didn't even puddles. like the cold, so... Exactly. You were never... I don't think you'd be in a position where you'd be like, do you know what I'd love to do? Step on this ice and risk it. Nope. Not happening. So if you enjoyed today's episode, do you want to take this one? Go on, go for it. I've been talking for about 20 minutes. Then you can find everything you need to find on our wonderfully created website, www.reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com, where it has links to our social meds, our merch, our Patreon, and various other things. And remember, if you make a donation to that wildlife charity's name I've forgotten, <laughs> Out of the Woods Wildlife Foundation. If you <laughs> haven't made a donation to Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation, then I strongly suggest that you do so. That was almost vaguely threatening, wasn't it? Yeah. I strongly suggest that you do so or else. No, if you are in a position to donate, please feel free to donate. It's for a lovely cause and the link is in the description of this episode. I feel like if you threatened to come around to people's houses, if they didn't donate, nobody would donate because they just hope that you'd rock <laughs> up on the door. <laughs> Kick in the door and be like, where's my donation, bitches? <laughs> And we shall see you tomorrow. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.